have the CEO of Voltus, Greg Dixon, on to talk about third-party aggregators, Burke 2222, and other nerdy stuff on this week's Renew Gurus. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm Executive Director of Renew Missouri, James Owen, coming to you live on tape from our palatial studios in downtown Columbia. Joining me uh, from his undisclosed location <laughs> is the CEO of Voltus. Is it just Voltus or is there a fuller name to your company? No, it's Voltus. You got Voltus. It. Greg Dixon. Greg. James. Thanks for, thanks for being on. Thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. It's a great time to talk. Exciting news. Can't wait to get, get into it. Yeah. So the news, and, and this is going to take a lot of unpacking and and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here is because I do think it is it is a it is a big deal but it is complicated um but back on October 12th uh the Missouri Public Service Commission uh made a ruling in regards to the concept of um and let me make sure I'm saying this uh, it is uh, aggregators of retail customers and there had been a ban put on these uh, these ARCs, as they're called, back in 2010, and that ban was lifted. So, Greg, we'll get into that. That's a lot of big words. It's a lot of complicated words. But what is what is? Can you tell us a little bit about what Voltus is and what Voltus does before we get into that? Sure. So you can think of. Uh, Voltus as a software platform that's analogous to Airbnb, where Airbnb is a software platform that connects two sides of a market, that being the owners or operators of real estate assets, uh, and on the other side, consumers that might want to stay at the, those locations and appreciate the, the choice and the economics of expanded opportunities on where they stay when they travel. We do the same for the electric grid, where on one side of that market, our software platform aggregates and orchestrates what are known as distributed energy resources. Those DERs, as I'll refer to them throughout our podcast, yeah. are everything from electric vehicles to smart thermostats to Bitcoin mines or electric arc furnaces at steel mills. Think of any electricity consuming, producing, or storing device connected to the internet that can be controlled. And so on one side of this uh, software platform that we've developed at Voltus, we are automating and controlling those DERs to deliver what are known as aggregated virtual power plants to the other side of the market, which are these electricity markets that want the reliability uh, the economic and sustainability benefits of these virtual power plants to help balance a an increasingly volatile electricity grid. And so that's what we've built. We've built a marketplace for these DERs to deliver their value to grid operators and for grid operators to get value in return. Yeah. So the DER, the distributive energy resources, I mean, this is, that is a very, I mean, from my perspective, that seems like a very encompassing term. It can refer to a lot of things, can it not? We often refer to DER, we often refer to the four horsemen of DERs. Okay. And that's, <laughs> and that is demand response, distributed generation, energy yeah. storage, 
and energy efficiency. And that's how the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission defines these DERs. And demand response is something we've talked about on here. That's basically like, I mean, that's usually, I mean, for the most part, that's for larger customers. Usually that's like where they have developed some sort of system or plan for how they use their power in order to make sure they're using it efficiently or as efficiently as possible. That's a simple way of putting it. Distributive generation is largely, when we think about that, we think about solar usually, uh, but that can also mean a lot of other different things. Um, storage is batteries, and we're starting to see more and more in that space. And then there's energy efficiency, which is, you know, just basically another way of trying to minimize demand. And we see a lot of that with residential customers, small businesses, that's... Um, that's, you know, like your HVAC system or your bulbs. So those are the four horsemen, as you call them. That's correct. Not as scary as the other four horsemen we usually talk about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay. So that's what a DER is, or those, uh, that's what they are. And so, and, and, and we have kind of seen more focus on DERs lately in the past couple of years, because, FERC, federal agency that kind of regulates the grid and regulates people connected to the grid, basically fought, did an order 2222 uh, that is trying to essentially encourage more DERs. I mean, what is it that FERC 2222 does? Yeah, so you, you hit the nail on the head. FERC order 2222 is meant to encourage the full deployment and integration of these DERs into federal jurisdictional markets, these wholesale power markets that uh, Missouri is part of. Missouri as a state has opted to gain the socialized benefits, if you will, of being part of a much larger interstate power grid known as a wholesale power market. In this case, MISO, or sorry, Missouri is part of MISO, which is the Mid-Continent Independent System Operator, which covers the Eastern part of the state. Yep. And on the West, it's part of the Southwest Power Pool. Both of these are FERC-regulated wholesale power markets. And FERC Order 2222 is meant to encourage the full adoption of these DERs that are just really lying there fallow as an option for states and the feds to drive down power prices, increase reliability of these grids, and do it in a more sustainable way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so the I mean, basically the idea is that we have these distributive resources, which are kind of happening at the point of delivery, that can help that can help the the grid in totality. That's correct. And Missouri is is I mean, I don't know if Missouri is unique, but we are in kind of an unusual situation where we have two of these wholesale markets in our state. And we also have this big swath in between them that does not the the co-ops in our state have opted not to belong to any uh grid uh wholesale grid market and so we have this weird situation where we've got as you said one side of the state with one uh outfit and the other with another and then this kind of area where we're not a part of it at all which has its own challenges <laughs> it's a little odd electricity markets in the u.s are quite balkanized. It's a little odd that we have different standards for how these wholesale power markets operate, even though they are regulated by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. It's like if the FAA decided there was a different standard for 
regulating aviation in New England versus in, in California. In fact, yeah. there's a movement afoot to implement what's known as standard market design so that we can allow the benefits of standardization to flourish in these markets. But right now we're stuck with uh, we're stuck with seven wholesale power markets in the U.S. Yeah. And also we we have a challenge that, you know, because we are the United States of America, we do and we do imbue the states with a lot of power and authority. And that includes uh, how states regulate utilities. And, you know, uh, the, the the Public Service Commission here in Missouri um, for for a long and, I, and we'll kind of be going back to how this affects uh, what we're talking about, but they are, um, but the Public Service Commission back in 2010 had uh, put in this ban against ARCs. Um, and I know I was not doing energy policy back then. <laughs> I only started doing this back in 2016. So that predates me by about six years. I I know that we had I know that the PSC had opened this up for comment back in 2021, basically saying, you know, look, we had this decision uh, back in 2010 to ban these. Um, we uh, we are wanting to have input on whether they should if we should lift that ban. Renew Missouri was one of the um, interveners that argued for the lifting of the ban. So. That's good. This is kind of a small victory for us. I mean, a lot of people worked on this, but we were we were working on this a couple of years ago. Um, so, I mean, so kind of try to explain to me. So when they banned this, I mean, back in 2010, what would have been the effect on. On, you know, like, I guess, from your perspective, I mean, what were some of the negative impacts of, of doing a ban like that? Well, what this really comes down to is the cost of resource adequacy. So every state has to determine how to supply electricity in a reliable and cost-effective way. And most states have elected to be part of a larger wholesale federal power market to get these socialized benefits of a larger power pool. Now, in Missouri's case, it decided to be part of these two wholesale power markets. And then FERC implemented some orders known as FERC Order 719 and 745, which are demand response orders. This was back in 2010 or 2009 timeframe that basically was meant to take the first step in encouraging the integration of these DERs that are meant in part to deliver resource adequacy benefits at a much lower cost than the state would traditionally purchase that resource adequacy for. So very simply, states traditionally have bought central power stations to meet peak demand. Plus, what's known as an operating reserve margin, right? So let's say you have 100 units of peak demand forecast for the summer. You might buy 120 units, if you will, of central power station capacity. Well, that central power station capacity cost then gets socialized across your bills, right? Everybody pays for it. In the case of DERs, because those DERs are lying fallow, right, in the form of demand response or solar on your roof or smart thermostats or electric vehicles, the expense of those resources compared to central power stations delivering good services is a fraction of that. And what happens is when states unleash the full capability of these DERs, they drive down the effective power price for all consumers. They drive up reliability because when there's a potential for a blackout, they can call on these demand side resources to prevent that blackout. And of course, the greenest megawatt is the one never built or the greenest megawatt hour is the one 
never yes. consumed. So, so we get the, ben the, the benefits of this. Now, back in 2010, at the onset of these initial DER orders, known as 719 and 745, utilities kind of injected fear, uncertainty, and doubt into the process by which aggregators were being considered to participate in these markets. Because at that point, there were no aggregators coming into the market, no aggregators like Voltus going to commercial and industrial customers and saying, there's value in your load flexibility, or there's value in the backup generator you have at your hospital, or there's value in the battery storage that, that um, you are installing in these wholesale power markets that until 2010, there wasn't even a debate on whether they can participate in. Now, obviously aggregators lost the debate back in 2010. Utilities won the debate. They didn't want aggregators in the market. The net effect of that is this. Missouri has a peak demand, peak electricity demand of a little less than 20,000 megawatts. Until today, only about 150 megawatts of commercial and industrial demand response, one of the four horsemen of DERs, has actually been enabled in what are known as utility demand response programs. Mm -hmm. The potential of that 20,000 megawatt peak is about 2,000 megawatts of commercial and industrial demand response. That's what we call the rule of 10%. 10% of the system peak can be delivered from commercial and industrial demand response. That 2,000 megawatt potential in Missouri is lying fallow. Only about 150 megawatts have been enabled through the 50 or so utilities in the state. So there's this massive potential of 1,850 megawatts of demand response that when brought into the MISO and the SPP markets will drive down the rates that consumers pay on their bills. It's adding competition into those power markets that effectively drives down the price and gives those power markets the ability to call on those resources to um, improve grid reliability. As, as we see climate-driven events cause things like winter storm URI or heat waves or fires like we're seeing out west, these right. demand side resources become more and more valuable. So, I mean, because I, yeah, I think you said something that's important. I mean, we have demand response programs currently in Missouri, but they are through the utilities. That's correct. Uh, you know, because we have, I mean, in, in my opinion, and I think this is the opinion of a lot of people, like Missouri does a pretty good job with energy efficiency. We do a pretty good job of managing our demand, I, I think, within the utility structure, because we are a um, vertically integrated state. We are not deregulated, which, which, which I guess, you know, so, I mean, we do a good job, but I mean, that is an interesting thing to this. When I hear aggregators, and when a lot of people hear aggregators, you usually see those in restructured states. You don't usually see those in states where you've got the utility with a full-blown monopoly. I mean, so is it is it unusual that an aggregator would be working in a state like Missouri in general? No, it's not. There are other examples like West Virginia's vertically uh, integrated state. It's part of PJM and it allows aggregators to deliver demand response in that state. That's that's just one of many examples, but it's, it's not unusual. Um, and you know, now Missouri has made the decision to be part of uh, the new age of unleashing the value of DERs, and and, and Missourians are go going to see the benefit of that. Yeah. So and so now, because we, you know, I think we mentioned we had these comments initially were. I think we filed our comments back in March of 2021. So we're talking about a couple of years ago. 
I mean, to the point where I'd almost forgotten about this docket. <laughs> but we had done this work. We had done this work and we had filed these comments. And we know that there were a lot, a lot of other people, a lot of other parties that were involved with that. And then just kind of out of nowhere on the same day, and because it was the big news that we got the Grain Belt Express uh, extension done, which was a big deal. But then buried under that news <laughs> was, was this news that this was this ban was going to be lifted after um, 13 years. So I guess I want to know now, I mean, we talk about how this is going to benefit customers um, generally, um, because we talk about demand response. And I tend to think of that as like, well, that's energy we're saving or not using. And so like, you know, kind of trying to explain this in a simple way, what is it that you are trying to bundle together to sell to the grid? when you talk about demand response coming from a large scale customer. Sure. So all grids need what are uh, all grids need three products. They need capacity, which yep. is the capability to deliver supply to meet peak demand. They need energy, which are the megawatt hours that uh, over a period of time are consumed across the day. And then they need ancillary services, which are, resources that are meant to balance supply and demand in real time. And the analogy here is like a, a car. Your car has a, an engine with a peak horsepower of say 300 horsepower. But when you're driving it, you're not driving it at 300 horsepower. You're driving it at some level that's probably significantly below that 300 horsepower. And then the third is the transmission or the ancillary services uh, on the grid that are meant to balance uh, the supply and demand in real time based on variations in, in demand. DERs can deliver all of those services that are traditionally delivered through central power stations. When you aggregate these DERs into virtual power plants, they act, they look like, and they are paid just like central power stations. Okay. And all right, so I mean, basically, we're talking about just using the energy they would not be using and being able to sell that to the grid. Is that what we're talking about? Yep, that's that's true in part. The other part of it is a lot of these consumers are installing DERs. So think about a Walmart. They're installing yeah. natural gas-fired backup generation to cover their entire store's load because they're seeing more and more blackouts and they want their stores to be open for their consumers in these really difficult times. And you saw this effect in Texas with Winter Storm Uri. The Walmart stores continue to operate just great because they had invested in these DERs. Right. What happens with those distributed generators is that when the grid is stressed and potentially about to brown out, we put the electricity production at the facility. So in this case, a natural gas fired generator is producing the power needed to operate that Walmart store while Walmart is no longer burdening, if you will, the grid by consuming electricity off of the grid. Okay. So, I mean, a lot, I mean, do a lot of Walmart stores have those natural gas generators? Yes. They've made a massive investment in resilience for increasing climate events, right? I mean, Walmart yeah. experiences, they have stores everywhere, right? So they go through the wildfires in California, the winter storm Uri in Texas, winter storm Elliott in, in Pennsylvania, they experience the effects of climate change and they're making billions of dollars of investments 
to counterbalance that. Now, at the same time, those DERs also have incredible value to the grid when they're aggregated and orchestrated to deliver those grid services. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, cause as you said, they're not using that generator all the time. They're only using that in, a, in an emergency. That's uh, right. And so if you think about like a, a nuclear power plant, a typical nuclear power plant has a capacity of about a thousand megawatts. Well, each Walmart store probably consumes about one megawatt and a thousand Walmarts equals one nuclear power plant of production. When you run yeah. 1,000 Walmart stores worth of generators, it's producing the same amount of power as a, a single 1,000 megawatt nuclear power plant, but it's yeah. doing it much less expensively. Yeah. And I mean, and that's one of the problems I know, you know, we have talked to, we have talked to Walmart, uh, you know, in the past, we've talked to them about third-party PPAs and trying to change the law in Missouri about that. I mean, they can't, I mean, under the net metering laws, they can't put a megawatt of solar on their roof or they can't put that on their, on their facility. So, I mean, we do have some limitations about what commercial and industrial customers can do in this state. Um, so, I mean, you know, they are essentially, you know, they are hamstrung to a certain degree, but I mean, do you see this as, I mean, but you see this as an opportunity for them to, to maybe be more expansive with what they're able to do creatively with their energy use? It's important to note that there are essentially two dimensions to the electricity grid. There's the distribution level or the utility level grid. So think of Ameren, Missouri. If you were to cut ties for Ameren, Missouri with any other utilities outside of Ameren, Missouri, that's just a distribution dimension of the grid, right? Yeah. Then you've got the transmission dimension of the grid. That's the wholesale power market. And that's essentially the transmission system that interconnects all of those utilities in all of the states, whether they're in wholesale power markets or not. Every utility in the United States is essentially every electric utility, except very small ones, are interconnected at this transmission level. And so these consumers, even in this case that you're mentioning with Walmart having limitations on net metering, they can deliver the benefits of the full solar production in this example to the wholesale or the transmission dimension of the electric grid. They might have limitations at the retail or state level, but they don't have those limitations now in Missouri at the wholesale power market level. And that's what lifting this ban really is all about. And it, yeah, okay. And I mean, because you're also talking about selling this demand response and this, this power that's not being used to the grid. I mean, we we need to be we need to make sure that we are reminding people. Ameren, Evergy, Liberty, City of Springfield, City of Columbia, all the big power utilities are part of these organizations. Um, as I mentioned, the co-ops are not, but they still like have wires that they sh they share with these with some of these companies. So I mean, there's still some overlap there. But I mean, all of these large utilities are going to see benefit from this because they're already a part of this market. Well, they're certainly going to see reliability benefits. And yeah. in in Missouri, they're, they're kind of held harmless in, ter in terms of the economic benefits because, because it's a vertically integrated state, all of the costs end up getting passed through to consumers. What these DERs do in Missouri now that they're able to deliver their value into wholesale power markets is they will lower the overall price paid by utilities that they then pass through to consumers. 
the utility is held is is held harmless though in effect by by this lifting of the ban yeah so i mean no one i mean no one i mean cuz you know cuz one of the things you always hear people say is a you know the utility humans they want stability they want stability which i mean every time i hear them say that it makes me want to it makes me want to run in the other direction <laughs> Uh, cause it means that somebody's about ready to get soaked a little bit, but, uh, that's, that's me saying that not Greg Dixon, not Voltus. Well, uh, yeah, James, I, w- I will interrupt you and, and, and say something. Please. Utilities have a very clear incentive, right? They have an incentive to put assets into their rate base so that they get their 10% guaranteed return on that rate base. It's not the utility's fault that they have an incentive to build infrastructure, right? That's right. the incentive that the PSC has given them. And that's true in uh, virtually every state in, in the US where the utility has a very clear incentive to build more power plants, to build more transmission lines and distribution grids because they get a guaranteed return on those assets. In this case, these DERs don't go into the rate base and it prevents the utilities from growing that rate base. And it takes that incentive away from them. So it's not it's not a surprise that they don't want third parties to come into the state to offer consumers a more efficient way to deliver power on the grid. Right. Right. Oh, no. I mean, listen, I I, I get what their position is. <laughs> uh, but I mean, ultimately, they're serving the public. I mean, that's like the whole point of the public service commission is to regulate these private entities that are providing a public good, which is to say they're providing a utility, whether that be electricity, water, or gas. Um, But I mean, ultimately, I do think that by having kind of these other parties come in to be able to give give customers options does ultimately help make the utilities operate in a better way, because I do believe that competition, that I do believe that innovation, I do believe that doing things in a different way are ultimately better for the public. No, that's, what, do that. That, that's an American, competition is an American institution. Yeah. And I mean, I, and I get, you know, and the, the thing about, you know, the thing about the utilities, they operate as a monopoly and in large ways for a long time, it, it made sense that they were the only ones who could deliver power using some of these older systems. But I do believe that technology... And, you know, like, I mean, you're, you're talking about you're essentially like a software company. I mean, we didn't have that kind of ability back in 1913 when the Public Service Commission was created. Um, and, um, you know, now we do. And so now I think, you know, even though we've been running utilities, it feels like the same way for 110 years. It doesn't mean we should continue doing that for another 110 years. So if there's opportunities for us to modify that and change that. I think that's something that we should look forward to. Absolutely. The fear, uncertainty, and doubt that ends up being injected into these discussions are meant to capture an incentive under what's known as regulatory capture, right? These monopoly utilities, understandably, have a franchise that they want to maximize the profitability of. And so they have an incentive to, in some ways, a perverse incentive the state of Missouri has has said is in light of consumer energy bills increasing, the Missouri PSC has unanimously voted to unleash the power of competition and innovation by allowing aggregators to deliver a service 
less expensively while increasing reliability and improving sustainability. They made the right decision, but that fear, uncertainty, and doubt lasted for 13 years. Yeah. And I mean, and no doubt it's always something that uh, utility, I mean, you know, because the Public Service Commission is a creature of statute, is a creature of the legislature, or they always see that certainty and doubt getting injected into lawmakers. And so, because right now we have a lot of paranoia, I think, of the legislature because they see all this stuff changing at the federal level. They see all these things happening at the regional level, and they see it happening outside of the state of Missouri. And they see that as being something that they should protect. A little bit. I don't think that's going to be the case here, but I certainly think when you see attacks on renewable energy, when you see attacks on energy efficiency, when you see uh, you know efforts to bolster the way things have always been done, which we see every session, and we'll probably see this session, which is coming up here pretty shortly, it always makes me worried that uh, the Public Service Commission is going to, um, well, you know, they're going to respond politically to things, but I am really glad that they did not respond uh you know in a reactionary way to this and that they I, I believe they made a good decision now with FERC 2222 we still have not seen the full impacts of that do you would you agree with that do you think there's going to be more opportunity here we're in the first pitches of the first inning of the implementation <laughs> of 2222 it's going to take many many years to actually begin to be implemented fully in these markets the impact, however, is going to be extraordinary. We're going to see in the next couple of decades that 50% of our electricity is going to be delivered by these DERs. Think solar on your roof. Think the yeah. lithium-ion battery in your electric vehicle of your car. We're going to see a huge paradigm shift to these DERs, which is no... Surprise, we went away from mainframe computers in the 70s to distributed computing in the cloud. The same is going to happen with these electricity markets. I, I always, I mean, yeah, that's a good, that's a good analogy. I always also talk about like the impact of cell phones on the, um, on, on the, uh, on the big ma bells. And I, I think that, you know, again, that's technology and innovation that is personalizing and making smaller uh, our ability to do things is going to have an impact. And I think it's going to be a good one. Well, we all know that these innovations are extremely important to our lives. You can't imagine flying into Lambert International and not having a rideshare option. Imagine, right. you know, you, you can only still use taxis and in, in the state mandating that Lyft or Uber can't operate in the state. That's analogous to what happened in, in 2010. The state uh, under this guise of fear, uncertainty, and doubt of what aggregators might might do, um, eliminated the uh, the ride sharing option, if you will, for DERs. But now they've supported it at a time that is really important for consumers to have choice to reduce their power bills. These DERs are going to significantly reduce power bills for folks in Missouri. Wow. Well, it's it's very it's very exciting. Um, Greg, is there anything else you'd like to share with our uh, listeners as we as we part? Is there anything like you? Is there anything they can uh, they can learn about this subject? Is there anywhere they can go for that? Yeah, absolutely. We encourage everyone, not just commercial and industrial customers, but residential consumers as well, to find out more about how they can participate in these electricity markets. And the easiest way they can do that is just shoot an email 
to Voltus, info at Voltus.co, not .com, so info at Voltus.co. And we can provide folks with a, a very quick assessment of how they benefit economically from being part of these programs that have just opened up for them. So this is something residential customers can take advantage of as well? Yeah, eventually the the order has a limitation for small consumers. Right now, the limitation is a consumer has to deliver at least 100 kilowatts of uh, demand response, in this case in Missouri, to qualify to be part of the program. But we're working on the ability for residential consumers to be part of this. So we encourage people to reach out and, and learn more, even though the option doesn't exist right now. We hope it will in the future. Wow. So say that email address again. <laughs> it's info at voltus.co, not .com. Greg E. Volt for being on today. This was a, this was a deep dive into the weeds, uh, but we're really glad that we were able to, to, to do that with you. Thank you again. Exchange, really appreciate the time. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, great. On behalf of Renew Missouri and Renew Gurus, this is James Owen wishing you a pleasant day and an even better tomorrow. Thanks for listening.